Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, I think we're going to have a really special conversation because we have Rick Jordan, who is the founder and CEO of Reach Out Technology. He's also an author, and he has his own podcast, the All In Podcast, which covers, from what I can see, a wide variety of topics. Not sure where this conversation is going to go, um, and I'm on my third cup of coffee, so let's fasten your seatbelts and let's get going. Rick, how are you? And I'm a little jealous now. I should have had some espresso before I jumped in, just imagine, right? <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I kind of have a rule that I, I, um, I will do one cup before a podcast just because I tend to get really wound up, you know, and excited. <laughs> and for, for whatever reason, I'm on my third cup today. And uh, so, you know, awesome. <laughs> it is what it is. All right, let's yeah. roll with hey, it. So I'm always hyped up anyway, so I'm, I'm set. That's cool. Where, where are you at? Chicago. This is in my podcast studio that I'm coming to you right now. Yeah, I'm so jealous. You have your own studio. <laughs> like, I, do. I, I I've interviewed a few people that um, they they have their own sound rooms and studios and everything yep. like that, and I have um, I have a living room. That's what I have. <laughs> so, it's, I like your backdrop, uh, what, though. I mean, I know this isn't video, but I'm seeing everybody who's listening. It's like you can see the city behind and just amazing light, natural light coming in. Yeah, no, it is really amazing. It's also fake. It's uh, <laughs> it's the uh, Microsoft Teams. I love uh, it. You know, you can. You can, you know, because I you don't really want to be looking at my living room furniture, and I don't want you looking at living room furniture. So, and so this is what it we is. We don't use Teams very um, much here, so I'm not used to seeing that background. And, and most will use Zoom for a lot of a lot of their efforts for video conferencing. You know, we use Slack internally. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, it's amazing the um, the evolution of the tools, uh, the communication tools and conferencing tools over the last couple of years, because I think it's been accelerated with for all the work from home. Um, and the you know the the you know the, the false the fake backgrounds have have you ever used the um, the sound suppression or noise suppression tools? No, not typically. Okay, so like in Teams and in Zoom, they've got you know the I, I think it's AI fueled or um, nice. powered uh, uh, noise suppression. So it it knows what my voice is, yours, and then like if my kids were to come in and start eating a bag of potato chips, you wouldn't hear them, which wow. is amazing because that used to always drive me crazy, right? Because I get them in my kidding. living room, so. So how's the, how are things in Chicago? Dude, they're uh they're pretty decent right now. I think uh if you're talking from like a pandemic perspective, the the city just yesterday decided to require masks again in all indoor spaces regardless of vaccination status or not. Yeah, and uh this coming weekend, I'm taking a quick trip to Florida with my oldest son just to have some dinner at his favorite restaurant, which is at Universal Studios. And all oh, of yeah. the flights are pretty much empty going to Florida from what I looked at. Just uh, at least coming from Chicago anyways, you know, and I'm assuming that's also yeah. pandemic related too. Uh, last year I flew a lot filming a movie, Liberty Lockdown, about government overreach. And I know we're here to talk about cyber, but it was a little little side project that got a lot of attention. But that was I, I was on flights last year with, you know, two people on them. I still stayed 150 nights in a hotel traveling around both for the film and for just regular work. Because my cyber company is going public in about ninety days too. Wow! So there's a there's a lot here to talk about. Yeah. Um, where should we start? First off, because um, I I, I want to come back to your podcast at some point, but let's focus right now because this is Secure Talk a little yeah. bit on cybersecurity. Tell me a little bit about what um, Reach Out Security or excuse me, Reach Out Technology. Uh, what what do you guys do? Yeah, Reach Out started as a managed service provider twelve years ago. 
And around 2013, 2014, we put a heavy emphasis on security. My background is in that regardless and in technology. I, I started, well, really, I started my IT career in glorious fashion working as the first Geek Squad agent in Chicago. You know, I, I was wow. the guy. Yeah, I was out there. You were the original geek. The, the original Chicago in geek. Chicago, yeah, <laughs> one of seven nationwide and seven test markets. But yeah, man, even at that time, I thought I was going to be, you know, connecting networks and, you know, raising up businesses and all that. And here I am scrubbing porn. That was my day in, day out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have to start somewhere. We I think do. that's where Sylvester Stone got his start, right? But, For sure. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's very true. Uh, but then 12 years ago, yeah. I started my MSP and... You know, that, that's where it was 130 hours a week, broke, barely able to feed my newborn twins, and actually at the time making less money than I was when I was a porn scrubber. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, and so, so how, what was the evolution now uh, into um, the current iteration of Reach Out? Yeah, into cybersecurity focus, because uh, I, I cut my teeth really in kind of like the enterprise space, and mm -hmm. that was working for Merrill Lynch. I, I was deploying 120,000 workstations and like 20,000 servers for their branch roll, their branch office rollout around 20 years ago. And I was mm -hmm. the one that was finding all the security flaws in that it was supposed to be like an imaging job, right? To where it's like, here, just image all these things and then ship them out. But then I started finding a lot of open doors and documenting like most what? of those. Like, it, like what would you find? Yeah, back doors. I mean, if you look, if you want to get technical, I'm talking, you know, DH, DHCP scopes that would overlap places to where there were just no network documentation. I would find open TCP and UDP ports that were in the software that they were using. You know, so I'd start mm -hmm. to go through and find these holes that existed and then reporting them. I'm like, who the hell is this kid? You know, because I was really, right. really young at the time. But my, my first real career choice, I was a police cadet when I was 16 and 17. And I wanted to be wow. in, in law enforcement. That was my whole gig. That was what, where I wanted to dive into. And 18 years old, I was going to join the military, the Marine Corps, as a as an MP, no, military police, but I had a medical history of asthma. So they didn't take mm. me at that time. So then I just kind of shifted into tech and went with it from there. It was just kind of a natural thing for me. But then everything came full circle several years back when I was trained by the CIA and the NSA in surveillance and elicitation and also different methods that threat actors use in order to gain access and footholds into networks. So the training part of it goes really, really deep, even to the point to where I was in the White House last year consulting the previous administration on AI. And I was the one who pushed $300 million of the $1 billion across the table to get that done last year for the AI defense bill. God, I don't know where to start here. Okay, so let's... Um... Let's talk about this the the, the the training that the CIA yeah. and the NSA provided you. I yep. mean, I, I'm assuming this is once just you. I'm assuming this was part of a, a cohort or something. Or to talk a little bit about that. It was a, it was me and just a couple of other people. The CIA portion of it was I was trained as a civilian, so it was really to do contract work. But then there was other stuff that opened up from that too. Trained on surveillance and elicitation. Now at the time too, I also had a private security agency meaning I'm mm -hmm. talking guns, guards, investigations, you know, really kind of the human okay. psychology of things, which is one reason why I'm really, really adamant about the human element of cybersecurity because it does, to me, start and end with people. It's a link that somebody clicks on. It's uh, somebody that has, you know, because one of the threat, the main five threat actor profiles is an insider threat, which I, in right. my book, Situational Ethics, I describe some of those real-life stories that I've either been a part of or observed from a third-party perspective. You know, the, or just straight up directly involved. The 
it starts and ends with humans. And that was one of the things that I've discovered being trained by the CIA. I was trained by the guy, he was called the legend, you know, and I'm not, you know, I know his pseudonym. I don't know his actual name because that, that's still classified in the surveillance and elicitation aspect of it. So surveillance, as it's defined, is being able to really observe things in, in, over a period of time, you know, and that's in cybersecurity. What does SEAM do? You know, what do, what do humans do at a sock? That's exactly right. precisely at least what they're supposed to do. Right. You know, but right. from an engineer's perspective, I feel that there's always a gap that exists between the, the tech and the tools and the actual human being. Because if there's not a progression of thought and abstract thinking around that, because I've mm -hmm. battled the hackers from China, the threat actors from China into one of our clients on New Year's Eve before, you know, trying to figure out exactly wow. where in the world that attack was coming from. And in order to actually facilitate that breach intervention the right way in the most efficient and expedient way possible, you have to try to think ahead of them. You have to put yourself in right. their shoes because it's not about the tech at that point. They're using tech to achieve an outcome. And that outcome was in this case was to steal the 14 international patents that my client has. Uh, but in right. order to catch them as they were bouncing all over the world to different servers, you had to start to identify the patterns and see where they were going to go next and think like them in order to get ahead of them. No, I, I get what you're saying. Instead of trying to co combat the technology per se, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the next tool or what's the next move that they're going to make and, 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 and figure out how to kind of plug that hole before they get there, I suppose. It. That's exactly it. What advice, I mean, because you mentioned that the, the human element is uh, hugely responsible for most of the breaches out there. What advice would you give to a you know mid-sized company owner that says like, yeah, I think our stuff's pretty secure, um, but they don't really know and they don't really have a plan. And in, in the context of that human element, which could be a disgruntled employee, it could be whatever it is, what advice would you give? Yeah, one, don't go it alone. That's the biggest thing. You know, even if you have an internal IT staff, don't put the entire responsibility on them. You know, if you're a large enterprise, sure, you have entire cybersecurity divisions and you have budget that's set aside for those projects, for those initiatives. But typically, small and medium-sized companies, at least from what I see, and this is true across the board, which is why they're the biggest targets now, especially as we've seen the ransomware hits over the past month and a half. We, that's been proven now that the small and medium-sized businesses are the target at this point because right. it's understood, which is I'm sure where you're going, that the budget has not been set aside for appropriate protection. Right. And there's not enough of an importance that pla that's placed on it now. At some point, I'm sure it's going to be mandated because I'm seeing, you know, in the journal, I have a Wall Street Journal subscription and a couple others that now, in order to even have cyber liability insurance in the future, in order to have that endorsement on your policy, on your general liability policy, you are going to have to have some kind of security awareness training that exists within your organization in order to even be capable of being covered by insurance agencies. So so the insurance agencies are also re recognizing that um, the human element is is probably the biggest vector for attack, right? Bingo. I mean, you got and it. so 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 cre so create awareness or do some training so these people won't click on the wrong things. So let's let's kind of maybe um, break this down a little bit. In terms of the human element, um, there are probably several different ways, and, and one could be the inadvertent, uh, you know, I click on a, a phishing email, uh, a malware, uh, you know, a file. But 
how would the training help with uh, a disgruntled employee or somebody who just wants to mess with you, man? I mean, yeah, you know, I know. W- what do you what, what <laughs> advice would you give to a business owner in that situation? There's a th- this is sort of a specialty area that reach out my firm gets into because there's ways and there's tools to monitor behavior and behavior. There's mm-hmm. certain indicators that are looked at. For example, we'll take uh, we'll take business functional groups. So I'll use a law firm as an example in this case. You know, in a law firm, you have you know, f- founding attorney, right? The founding lawyer. Then you might have partner attorneys. Then you might have associate attorneys that are there. And, right. and they all have different functions, but then you also have paralegals. Then you have legal secretaries. Then you have clerks. They're all different business functional groups. And if you take them as a whole, because data never lies, and there, there's tools out there to be able to do this, and we've set up alerts in order to man- manage and monitor these things. If you see that that group of legal secretaries typically has communication back and forth you know on average per person in that functional group we'll just say five gigabytes a day of data that's transmitted back and forth either between their computer and the servers the computers in the cloud through email you know there's all these different categories that are there but out of this group of 10 legal secretaries one of them spikes this week and they're outside the normal parameters then you start to look okay is this something that it, then it's the human that has to go in and take a look at this? It's almost like a like a policeman kind of patrolling the street, you know. If you see mm-hmm. five drug dealers on the corner, right? <laughs> they're probably all doing the same thing, and it's not that big of a deal. But all of a sudden, if you see a crowd uh, on a corner that's the same day of the week, and it, it's something that's out of the usual, you know. So we'll right. take a look at that from a human perspective and say, okay. Is this something, as we dive into the data that was transferred, is this something that maybe they just, maybe the legal secretary that works for one of the associate or partner attorneys, that partner attorney just landed a bigger case, and now they're receiving all the case files for that week. Maybe it was a transfer from another law firm. You know, so we dive into all the reasons why it could be the right thing that we're seeing here. Right. And then if we can't find any of those... Mm-hmm. Then we then we then you, like, then you go knock on the door. Yeah, it, it's something like that. But the way that we're structured is we'll have a uh, w- some places call them a customer success manager, you know. But really, it's a security advisor that that we align with a site contact. So when something like this pops up and it's classified as an urgent level, it's an immediate phone call to say, "Hey, okay. we notice this." If it's an acute event, right in that moment. You know, if it's a weekly thing to where, you know, like the data transfer thresholds that I'm talking about, then it's reviewed on a weekly basis with them. You know, so there's always some sort of lag time that could exist. But if there's something that pops up immediately, like one of the stories in my books, like there was a threshold for the same type of data transfer, but it was something like 75 gig of data from the server to a salesperson. You know, it was just an insane amount ooh, that happened. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was an amazing going to work for somebody else. Exactly. The, the next month. Yeah, that's know? exactly what happened. <laughs> I'm you know? assuming. I mean, that's the way salespeople people think. You know, they you do. you know you, yeah. you you talk about getting into the mind of people, but um, I've got a fair amount of uh, experience managing sales teams, and uh, yeah, when they start downloading all their contact lists and customer records, you're like, okay, yeah. well, what's up, bud? <laughs> Precisely. That was exactly it. Yeah, financial records, everything. You know, and his book of business for this client was responsible for about twenty five million dollars of their revenue, you know, of about a $100 million company. So a quarter of their revenue was going out the door, but we also, (laughs) we had GPS on all the company vehicles and he had a company vehicle. So we literally tracked him to the parking lot of their largest competitor in the area. 
it was pretty obvious wow at that point what, what an was, idiot <laughs> i know yeah so I, there's but but the people don't I mean, think through their great, actions great sales guy but pretty bad uh yeah pretty bad crook man <laughs> for sure yeah so there's ways to utilize data meaning like like data reference points in order to mm-hmm. take a guess on what the human behavior and motives are so so you know uh, a huge or um, out of the uh, ordinary uh, data download is one anomalous behavior. What other kind of behaviors would you would would raise a flag? Oh, sure. Website traffic, you know, keywords that are entered into the system, you know, because if it's a business asset, and this is what pretty much all the states uphold to in the United States, if it's a business asset, this type of monitoring is completely legal because it's a business owned okay. asset. You know, the, the challenge has mm-hmm. existed in the past year, and this is one of the measures that we've pushed across with all of our clients in the push to remote work, is that if they're working from home or anywhere, it still needs to be a business asset because we lose, oh, that's smart. we completely lose the ability to monitor what they're doing on a daily basis from within the business kind of safe zone if they're using a so, bring so- your own device. So you, I was just going to say, you're not a fan then of bring your own device. No, on mobile phones, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's a little different, but there's certain things that we allow access to on mobile devices within within reason, you know, but they're you know. not going to, you can't take an iPhone. I, I suppose, technically speaking, you could, but it's not really connected this way to where you can transfer that 75 gig worth of data off of a server onto your iPhone. You know, it's a, right. it's a little bit right. different, but a, a laptop, yes, you know, working from home or or any other device that, that has a full-blown operating system on it. So it has to be, and this is something, you know, coming back to your question, small and medium-sized businesses, you have to invest into your people to the point to where they are only using business-owned assets. End of story. That's the only way you can secure every piece of communication that's going back and forth. Well, you know, I think you've already given two really valuable takeaways here today. One is, you know, the importance of training and awareness um, and the whole, uh, you know, uh, company owned uh, devices. That's kind of a a must have for for anybody that's uh, providing for remote work or anybody just, you know, you can't go home and and log in on your own device. So, I mean, that's right there should save some some of these companies who are listening some pain. Um, let me ask you, uh, what other things, let me I, I back up a little bit because, yeah. you know, managed service is interesting. Uh, we work with a lot of companies, you know, they all have, um, different sized it departments. And sometimes when you go in as a managed service provider, they see you as a threat. Um, it works best when you can kind of actually team up with the um, IT team, right? And say, Hey, no, we're going to actually make you look good. How do you have that conversation? How do you, how do you help the, the, people who initially might see you as a threat to say that, oh, you know what, you're actually on our side here. Yeah, it's kind of addressing the white elephant in the room when it comes to that, because most organizations don't, just like most managed service providers, you know, do not have the cybersecurity competencies existing within their ranks, you know, or even if so, I mean, everything that I just talked about previously on the show so far is multiple different types of competencies within the cybersecurity area. And those are different people that have skill sets in different areas of cyber. So there's no way that, you know, without expending a lot of labor dollars, that an internal IT staff can have the competencies that are needed in order to protect their organization that they work for. 
You know, so if it's with the, the CTO, if it's with the CIO, or if it's with the IT director, depending on whatever freaking top level role that this is, it's an insurance or an assurance to them saying, we're coming alongside you. We do want to make right. you look good. And then it's like, I'm going to level with you. What <laughs> happens tomorrow if you're breached? What happens to your job? <laughs> you know, so it's right. so it's really it's shifting the th the focus of who the threat really is, you know. The, right. the threat is not me. The threat is mm -hmm. all the threat actors on on the outside that are trying to get in, and even the threat actors that are sitting inside the organization right now that can undermine you. That's who I want to help you sniff out. You know, we know how right. to do this, and then it's obviously easily easily done with the credentials, the credibility that we have. It's not an issue when it comes to that, but it's shifting their focus because. One, if they let you in to begin with, they already understand that there's a problem that they can't solve. And that's okay. Right. So when you walk in, it's, it's really like a, a position of compassion and empathy, mm -hmm. understanding that this is way too daunting of a task for you to try to take on. And you know what? That's okay, Miku, because you made a good first step by inviting right. me in. So let's explore this together. You know, there's a lot of good phrasing in there too, like you and I, you know, all of that. Right. We're going to support you. You're the point person. That's cool. We can be the man behind the curtain. I don't care. You know, if you mm -hmm. want to bring me in, obviously, you know, I can bring energy into a room. That's awesome. I can talk with your C-level team. That's very cool. But anyway, I'm going to be lifting you up the entire time. You know, but th there's one caveat, right? There's one caveat. You kind of have to do what I tell you to do. <laughs> you know, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it doesn't work. You know, so yeah. if I'm telling you, you know, that, for example, like we were talking, all of your assets need to be company owned. You know, a lot of objection, objections I'll get from that was, well, that's way too much money. Well, I understand that it costs money to do that, but let's talk with your CFO. Let's have a conversation because we will enroll them in the need to do this. Because the human mm -hmm. element again, dude, unless you're actually like the 100% owner of that firm, you're really primarily concerned with your own well-being before right. you are concerned with the company's well-being. <laughs> That's just human nature, dude. <laughs> you know, so mm -hmm. if, you, if you relate it back to them and saying, look, this is something that you can really help provide your organization, and man, you will be recognized for this. I'll make sure that you're recognized for this. Because even if it's nothing more than just saying, hey, you know, John or... Rachel brought me in, brought in reach out technology in order to help you guys. Isn't that an awesome move that they made? Because they care so much about this company that they brought in the experts in this one area to make sure that they got their job done okay. They're going to be managing us and working with us the whole way. So it's a, it's a flip of the script. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Hey, uh, by the way, you've just sold me. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't buy you. <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's pretty, pretty persuasive and it's, it's, it's accurate. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Um, it's truth. Let me ask you. Stick with the, it truth, is the truth and, it, and that's, it works. You know, the, the, the truth sells. Yeah. Uh, truth and trust, right? And, you, you know, once you, once you gain their trust by telling the truth, um, then, then you can, you can really partner. Let me ask you, um, in addition to the human element, Okay, I'm a uh, you know I'm a business owner and I'm like okay I've got the training um, and now for these potentially rogue employees or salespeople I've got some uh, detection that will uh, uh, technology that will flag anomalous behavior the, the the you know the huge download of files um, what else should I be concerned about Yeah, the biggest thing from a from a very practical perspective these days is 2FA or MFA multi-factor authentication that I'll tell any small and medium business 
you know, and that's defined. I love this because you hear the acronym and it's, it's still mind boggling to me, but this is the state of our industry, right? Is the acronyms that are out there on a consumer level, most don't understand and that's okay. But if you relate it back to something that they do understand, it's like, what happens when you sign into chase.com? You, you bank with Chase, you bank with Bank of America, you get a text message, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm like, that's MFA. That's multi-factor authentication. Right. So they're like, I've never used that before. I'm like, you've been using it for 20 years. <laughs> you know, this is right. the, the co conceptually anyways, in different ways. And then it's a simple explanation of multi-factor as simple as this, right? It's something you know, like a password, and something you have on your person. That's multi-factor mm -hmm. authentication. That's how it uses these two areas to verify that it's actually you who is trying to log into whatever you're trying to get into. That, which means that if somebody else knows your password, has that piece of knowledge, they're likely not going to have your phone, your iPhone in their pocket in order to keep getting in and have full access to this thing. So it's the simplest way to do it. And it's also one of the most least, that's, a, that's an interesting, most least expensive. Yeah. One of the, <laughs> one of the least expensive ways <laughs> to protect everything that you have going on. And, and after the fact, doesn't cost anything it's, and yeah. it's not that it's not that intrusive and uh, as you said you like you can get a text message or you can get one of these uh, really super cool authenticator apps there's different ways to do it yeah. but you I, I, I totally in agreement with you um see, i'll tell you an interesting story i i was in talking with a 2.1 billion dollar uh company that's their annual revenues company in tokyo japanese company and Japanese companies, I, t I tell you what, they, 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 they move a little bit more slowly, okay? <laughs> and uh, I was talking to their, their, um, their, their CTO, and he, he was responsible for cybersecurity. They didn't really have a, a dedicated CISO. Uh, and, and, you know, we made some recommendations, and one of the recommendations was, you know, force MFA on your global admins. Yeah. And his first question was, what's MFA? And, okay, Fair enough. You know, some people I, I would I would think that somebody in his role would know that. But fair enough. You know, you say tomato, I tomato. So it's like, OK, two factor authentication. To, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah, that. Yeah. And he, he said, wow, if we forced it on our global admins, that's kind of a burden for them. I don't think they would like it. <laughs> and at that point, I was just like, but that's you know when what, you man? relate it back to can, him. I don't it's think like, can help you. Would you like it? If you were breached right. tomorrow and all the responsibility and blame fell upon you. I, it, it, exactly. But I think some people are living in this world of denial where we're not going to get breached. I don't know, you know, but God, the consequences, I mean, of, of that, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's mind boggling. We're seeing a shift uh, these days. Though, and you're right on that because that's been the biggest, I think, hurdle in our industry over the past many years is just the fact that <laughs> this is a real thing. This can happen right. to you. It will happen to you. And it wasn't covered in mass media as much as it has been in maybe the past two, two and a half years. You know, so there is a, a shift and we have that going for us, of course. You know, just like last month, I mean, I was on Bloomberg Radio twice talking about the Kaseya breach, you know, and then also yep. the fact that Russia hacked the, the RNC. You know, so outlet media outlets are starting to, like big time media outlets are starting to cover these things and bring on experts in the industry that like you and I, that can actually have a conversation around these things and aren't just all about tools that can actually relate it down to real human level. No, it's, it's really important. In fact, um, it's funny. I, I just got a message today from uh, T-Mobile, my um, mobile uh, yeah, provider. With their reach. Yep. It says, uh, 
Yeah, it says, T-Mobile has determined that unauthorized access to some of your personal data has occurred. We have no evidence that your debit credit card information was compromised. We take protection of your customers seriously, blah, 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 blah. Uh, click here. And at first I'm suspicious, like, is this really T-Mobile? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Are they going to ask yeah. me to, to log in? <laughs> but I, but I, but I, I went and verified and it went on. Um, and in, in that situation, if somebody receives a message like that, let's say it's a company or an individual, uh, what would you recommend that they do? Yeah, one is do exactly what you did first. You know, so if it's in the email, uh, I mean, on your phone, it's a little bit harder, but if you press and hold on the phone, you can actually see the link that it's going to go to on an iPhone. It'll preview it so you don't actually go there first and see the domain. So if it's tmobile.com or t-mobile.com, I think is what it is. Yeah, then it'll show you because it you're right you're right that's pretty cool yeah it, it could be yeah <laughs> i just did it. i mean you can't see me because we're not recording the video yet but at least i'm not but um yeah i just tried it on my phone and uh you're right <laughs> well, that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah on a, so on a pc or a mac you can hover over that button or that link and it'll show you in the status bar exactly where it's going to take you you know and i'm mm -hmm. talking about this because you you were referencing hey is this phishing Right? Is it trying right. to take me to a site to obtain my username and password, but it's actually not T-Mobile? It's you know some Joe from Iran or something like that, right? Or or Syria right. that's trying to gather my information and then sell it off off on the dark web. That's what phishing does, you know, for everyone that's listening. It it takes you to a site that looks like, feels like, acts like T-Mobile, but it's really not them. And the only way to tell right. that from an email, like if it's like Mark right here being like, is this really T-Mobile? That's the first question you should ask when you hear something like this or see a, an email like this. But then if it's on a, on, a, on a PC or a Mac, you can hover over that in Gmail or wherever and it'll show you where it's going to take you. Make sure it is t-mobile.com, you know, the actual website that it's supposed to take you or on your phone like Mark just did, you can press and hold that link to tap and hold and it'll show you a preview or the actual URL where it's going to take you. And keep, keep a lookout on those things too, because at a quick glance, and this happens with a lot of fishing, a lot of fishing expeditions. I love that word expedition. And because they're, they're mass, right? They're, right, right, right. they're broad. That's why they're kind of like expeditions is they, they cover millions or billions of people when they send these out. Sometimes that domain name can very much look like a T-Mobile domain name. You know, so sure. if it's t-mobile.com, the O, this is a tactic from threat actors, from hackers, the O will be changed to a zero and they'll buy that domain. So at first glance, it's it very much, they are, <laughs> yeah. It'll look like that. So you just have to pay attention to those things, you know, and this is really why it comes full circle in our conversation back to security awareness training. Because yep. it, with just what we've talked about right now and showing people how to identify this, in a corporation or even at home, they can protect themselves and the organization they work for by just having this knowledge. Absolutely. And it, you know, it's interesting because, um, and we, we, I've beat up on, or we beat up on T-Mobile here for a few times, but let's shift uh, to the, uh, to the social security department, which actually I don't think it was really them, but I've received calls. So you expect that a cyber attack would come through, um, your phone or your computer, right? An email yeah. or something. But I've received calls that um, uh, your social security number has been blocked. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you get some people, <laughs> they'd be like, oh the my God, they blocked my social security yes. card. <laughs> a, that's another <laughs> thing. Though. I can't there's live a, with it. Yeah. There's What's a that? lot of misspellings in those emails too. That's why I said B-L-O-K-E-D. No, but that, that was, I actually got a, I got a, a voicemail, like a, oh, wow. like a, what do you call it? Not a voicemail, like a, a spam call, like a computerized call, you know, call. And it was, in, you know, a, a computer saying, yeah. dear Mark Schreiner, we, this is the social security part 
department. Uh, we're sorry to tell you, but your social security number has been blocked <laughs> and are frozen or whatever. They And you know that that would freak some people out. And yeah. then they want you to call in. And, and then when you call in, because I, I, I do it to just to see what the, what's yeah. the game, right? They're like, oh, yes, sir. Um, well, to verify it's to you, please tell us blah, blah, blah. And that, that's how they get your information, yep, right? I mean, it. and so, yeah, it's, and we call it's kind of crazy. Social engineering. Yep. And, and you need to be aware of it. And sometimes, can you give, I mean, I don't know, I haven't, I'm sorry, I haven't read your book. I, I no, will. No problem. Uh, do, you have, do you have some examples in there about social, social engineering? Yeah, not many. One of them was uh, we had to figure out who was siphoning some files off. It, it mm-hmm. was uh, it was actually at a law firm, and it was uh, so it was just kind of some question and answer because we had it narrowed down to that it was probably one of the partner attorneys, and it was just through casual conversations finding out where they came from, where they were looking, to where we we started recognizing that okay, this is someone that should be watched. So we used it to our benefit, you know, which happens, okay. you know, just casual conversation to, uh, and this is the elicitation training that I have too. From, from the CIA mm-hmm. is being, you know, elicitation is gaining a piece of knowledge through conversation pretty much from anybody. You know, so I've been trained on how to talk to Mark here and I can get information about anything I want to out of Mark, you know, just in casual You're cover. making me a little nervous here, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all good. But finding <laughs> out that this... Like, I don't have any filter at all, man. So <laughs> I'm just like, okay, whatever you want, man. It's all good. Oh, go ahead. But, but this is part yeah. of it to where, you know, when the when the tech matched the, the knowledge that we gained about this individual and we saw that a new Dropbox account was created and files were being dumped in their case files. It's like, okay, this could be legit. But I had had conversations with this individual on how they had a rough departure from the firm that they started. There was a hostile takeover and they used to, they've shown me pictures with themselves and the mayor of Chicago and how they used to be in these very prominent circles and sort of had a rough go at it the past couple of years, you know? So now, Mm. now you start to think, well, there's probably motivation there. Yeah, in, right, in order to right. do something like this, because if they were at this position of status before within the community and now they've sunk into a low, it's always, well, how do I gain that back? That's typically what humans mm-hmm. will think, you know, so through the process of conversation, it happens naturally for me. But, you know, there's some ways that I've trained and I don't remember the very specific questions off the top of my head, trained my team to ask these questions in regular client engagements, you know, and then take mm-hmm. notes on these things just to gain where people are at in their own headspace around everything that's going on. I mean, I'm just talking in life. You know, you have conversations right. with them, you build rapport, then they'll trust you with this information and they'll start to spill things and we take notes. That way we can reference back and be like, okay, well, this was a little off today. You know, <laughs> Things just didn't yeah. feel right with some of the things that were being said. So maybe we should just take a look deeper to see if something's going on. Note to self, Rick takes notes, so be <laughs> careful. <laughs> You know, it's funny. You just talk about, and I, this is probably the most political thing that I've said on on, on this show. But uh, you talk about people who've had a very high social position, who have fallen and are trying to figure out how to get their way back. And I can think of a governor of a particular state back east that um, is probably having that <laughs> thought process right now. <laughs> yeah, we, I might have addressed him a little bit in my movie last year. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, anyway, assuming um, it's a him you're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's definitely him. You know, it usually is. Come on, man. I (laughs) I know this isn't Michigan that we're talking about, but no, no, although I talked about both of them in the movie. Farther, farther East, all the way at the coast, the guy that uh, just resigned. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, let me, let me ask you this. I want to talk about your, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about your uh, your movie and and uh, your podcast. Uh, but before I do that, I, I did take a peek at your your website, and it looks like that you're active in M and A in yeah. the managed service space, managed services space. Um, tell me a little bit about what you look for. What's a target profile for your um, interest? Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that too. Yes, uh, Reach Out is going public. We're we're in the process of that right now. We have been for a little bit, but it looks like we're filing towards the end of uh, this quarter or the beginning of fourth quarter, which I'm really excited about. It's been a lot of time and effort put into this. The whole effort is to do what we were talking about a little bit on the show to unify a portion of this industry, you know, create a nationwide mm-hmm. brand that's trusted. There's no managed service provider that's ever gone public before. So we're the first, it's just a vehicle to accomplish this unification and build somewhat of a trusted brand, actually build the trusted brand across the United States and North America as we continue to expand into Canada. And the, the targets that I'm looking for in this, because if you look at the M&A activity in this industry, typically the ones that you see posted everywhere, it's usually private equity that will look mm-hmm. for companies that have at least you know a million dollars in annual recurring revenue or $5 million top line revenue and higher because their goal is to really build a portfolio and then sell off that portfolio. Because private equity, mm-hmm. we're looking to, w- with the economics of scale and how a roll-up works like that, even a, a micro roll-up, the, the whole is worth more than the sum of its parts in that. So sure. when they put it all together, if they bought you know five managed service providers that do $5 million in top-line revenue, that's $25 million in top-line revenue, when before it might have been worth 1x the revenue at $5 million. This is just really stupid numbers, by the way, that I'm giving you, right. just really basic. Now it might be worth 2x the top-line revenue. So that, that sum of- You've doubled five, the value. Exactly. Just yeah. by throwing everything together, right? Right on. Yeah, that's exactly it. So while that holds true for what I'm doing, I have, I think- if you want to call it more whole or noble purposes in this, because this is my life. I'm not, I'm not building it. I am everyone that I'm acquiring. I'm not private equity. You know, and right. I'm looking below that. Remember, I'm the Geek Squad porn scrubber, right? <laughs> that's, that's me. Uh, uh, I can, can picture that on your business card. So. <laughs> just picture that along with a photo of me, you know, consuming way more Mountain Dew than any human ever should. <laughs> you've got, right. you've got a good picture right there. I don't do that anymore. Cause I used to be 80 pounds heavier too. When I was, wow. when I was doing that's that. a whole nother story we could it talk is. about. I mean, yeah, yeah but it but, is. Yeah. yeah so please continue. Yeah. Like, like unicorn in the industry, right? Cause I'm fit. I work out and, uh, I, I know the struggles that everybody has, even down to the personal level of weight and family and, and trying to run a business and, and all that. I, I am everybody else. But, so I'm looking for between 500K, 500,000, and 5 million in top line revenue. So I'm starting below where private equity typically looks. And the reason sure. for that is because I'm, we're looking to just create this nationwide brand that's a, that's a huge trusted brand. And this revenue scope is really great for those who are looking to be part of something that's bigger because it, mm-hmm. it's typically the pressures and I know them you know because last I don't mind sharing this but last quarter alone you know this year reach out did a million in revenue it was like 1.1 million in revenue just in quarter two of this year alone of 2021 you know and two or three years ago we did a million dollars as a whole for the entire year right you know so we're continuing to accelerate and there's reasons behind that with efficiencies. And typically, if you get over the $5 million mark, you have some pretty good maturity around your processes and procedures. 
you know, which I feel right. Reach Out does. But it's hard to get there. It's really, really tough to get there, man. And it's a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of late nights, a lot of sacrificing, you know, family baseball games and all of that to get to this point. And it's tough. I know. You know, so the thought process is if you're sick of bumping your head on the ceiling, you know, this isn't something to where if you want to exit, cool, because I've talked with that with people that are in their 60s that are saying, this is my my sunset, you know? <laughs> this is the, the mm-hmm. end, I'm looking to retire after this. Awesome, very cool. Come on for an integration period of six months. By the way, because we're a public vehicle, you can also have stock in the company as part of the deal, you know, because it's a, it's a very unique proposition that we have because we are going public. And do you mind? Do you mind if I ask what what exchange you're going to be going public on? That's undetermined yet, and while okay. I have thoughts around that, that's not something that's public information yet. But it's uh, fair enough. But yeah, it's uh, it depends because this is going to be, and you'll see this in the filing. It is a Reg A plus offering, which means it okay. doesn't even have to be listed if we don't want to. You know, so okay. it's um, it, it's a unique way of doing this, and Reg A plus is like a, it's almost like SEC backed crowdfunding. And that, that gotcha. was chosen intentionally because of the purpose behind this, because it's also very retirement fund friendly, like self-directed mm-hmm. 401ks and, and IRAs. And I really want, you know, with the, the nature of how our country gets attacked, I really want sure. this to be something that just anybody can get behind if they want to. You know, so mm-hmm. rather than having to be an accredited investor and jump in, you know, you can get in for like as little as 400 bucks or something like that in a Reg A plus fund. It's really simple, man. You know, it's funny. I, I I dabble in the market, and I haven't heard that expression before. But uh, I, it's on my list. Like as soon as we're done with the show, so I'm going to go and check out yeah. Reggae Plus Investments. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. It is really cool. It's an awesome way, you know. And, and even as we're growing too, because at some point, you know, when our market cap gets high enough, we'll probably go go to Nasdaq at some point. That's not where we're at right now because this is just the first initial phases of this acquiring 50 to 70 over the next two years within that 500k to $5 million mark. So I want, I want individuals that, yeah, they're looking to, to retire. Cool. We can give you a fair deal because, you know, while I've been called the MSP shark lately, I'm I'm not out for blood. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for. It's, it's, you want to win, win. Exactly, man. That's how it has to be. I I wrote a book on ethics, you know, (laughs) it's got to, it's got to be that way where it's a win-win. And even for those who feel like they want to stay on, if they're in their, their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, that's awesome. I want to explore that with them because this could be the next chapter in their career to build the fulfilling mm-hmm. life that they have, you know, without all the pressures well, that come on being the owner. No, no, and I, I totally get what you're saying. And the thing with managed services, as you say, is like it's kind of it's that whole chicken and egg thing where you get the customer and now you need the resources and you get another customer, you need more resources. Yeah. And, and and scaling can be so challenging because you if you over resource, you're losing money because you yeah. don't have the customers. Right. Um, you have to have the right infrastructure, the processes. And, it, it, you know, and if you're trying to reinvent that or invent that all on your own, it can be super challenging um, until, like you said, you get to like a critical mass or a certain level to, yeah. to scale. Let me ask you to to flip that because, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying and it sounds really attractive, especially if, if you're doing half a million, a million a year in managed services to just join a more mature organization, use their platform to probably even grow your business even more quickly. Exactly. And but, you get a cool payday right at the beginning too. <laughs> exactly, it's right? A win-win, yeah, man. And exactly. So, but if I had an MSP um, and I wanted to make it attractive to you, 
what should I do? Yeah, there's a that's an amazing question. Because in addition to that revenue scope between 500k to 5 million, I'm also looking at a percentage of recurring revenue to your annual revenue. And that needs to be private equity will typically look on average at about 80%. I really only want 50%. You know, but if it's below that 50%, if, if less than half of your revenue is true recurring revenue, managed service provider service revenue, which means you're mm -hmm. excluding reselling Office 365. I don't care about the six points of margin that you're making on an exchange mailbox. You know, I don't care about right. you reselling WebRoot antivirus or whatever, you know, because that, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't care about that. But 50% is true and pure managed services recurring revenue. That's mm -hmm. where you start to become attractive because I know from looking at that that those customers will be staying on in some kind of capacity. And now I have to right. look at the other half and see if I can convert them over because it, mm -hmm. it's a, I've been a pure play, you know, I don't know if that term is used in the industry, but I use it a pure play managed service provider for 11 of the 12 years that I've been in business. And meaning I have not, the first year I did break fix, I did hourly wages, I did block hour contracts, but then I drew a line in the sand and this was the only way that I was able to scale was saying, okay, this was great. You like me. You like what I'm doing. Awesome. This is the only way that I can provide it to you at an even greater level going forward because I'm mm -hmm. one dude. <laughs> at the time, I was, <laughs> I was one dude. You know, And in order for me to continue growing and to continue servicing you because I don't want to just stay one dude. You know, Or if right. you're there, you know, even if you're doing a million dollars, you don't typically want to just stay at a million dollars in revenue. You want to grow. Right. You know, so you have well, to isn't grow Isn't that line. really hard though? It's so hard when you're starting a business to to say no to a customer and say, you know, because the customer says, hey, well, no, we don't we, we don't want to do a flat fee or we don't want to do package A. We we want to pay you by the hour like we've always paid you. Um, and or they or, you know, we just don't have the budget. And it's hard to say no when you're getting going. Right. It's hard to say, no, nah, yeah. you know what? I, I'm not going to target you. What, what what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. You have like, to how take you... the risk. And it it, it is okay. legitimately a risk. You know, so mm -hmm. if you structure it this way, now there was only at the time I had maybe 15 clients, that's it, right? And at, yeah. at the time it was only one that said no when I presented it to him. You know, and yeah. I, I hear these stories across the board, but it, you know, there's coaches out there that in, in my industry that will say, oh, you know, kind of gradually move them into it. And it's like, why do that? You know, I know, I know my direction. I know where I want to go. Right. And I feel that, you know, even if I have multiple plans, because I've always only had one plan <laughs> for, for my clients too. If I had multiple plans, I mean, back to T-Mobile, right? You know, I think they have yeah. two plans now, but they used to just have yeah. Yeah. one. <laughs> That's it. Right. You know, because it's like, <laughs> I, as the expert, I know what you need. I don't want right. to provide service to you if these things are not included because I know that you're going to get pissed at me if something breaks. Right. So if I can structure something that gives you the most value for a fair and premium price to where you know that this is the best that you can get and there's a reason why you pay the high price because it is the best that you can get, that's how I structured it and presented it to everybody and 14 out of 15 converted. I mean, on the spot. And then I'm thinking... Man, this is awesome! I can hire some people now. <laughs> so, right? The, it, it must must have felt really good too. I mean, just to you know, it's kind of like it, it allows you to focus and it allows you to plan more because you you have these people on that fixed one plan, right? 
Um, hey, I, I we this is probably one of the longest conversations I've had. So I, and I don't want to go too uh, too much longer here, but I do have to ask you, yeah, um, about your podcast, and then we'll get we'll get to the movie at the end because I mean, everywhere I've never had somebody on here that's been in a movie before. Yeah. So I got to touch on that. But <laughs> tell tell me about your podcast. Um, and tell I, I should tell us about your podcast what it's about, how people can find it, et cetera. Yeah, if you just search my name, Rick Jordan, on any podcast platform, even if you just Google me, for real, I'll be all over the first page, and the podcast usually sits somewhere towards the top of the first page on Google. But it's search Rick Jordan, the podcast is All In with Rick Jordan. That's the official title of it, but it is the All In podcast. And you're right, I heard you mention this at the beginning of the show. I do have a lot of different industries that come on the show. You know, there is, mm-hmm. we started this, I think, towards the end of last year, an actual cyber edition. So it's about every one or two out of 10 shows that is a cyber edition to where I will bring on. I mean, I'll bring on ethical hackers. I'll bring on people that just know things about AI and how that's influencing cybersecurity. You know, really kind of dirty deep with people that are from our industry, Mark. You know, but sure. most of all, the thing that really accelerated my success, and this is why the podcast is structured this way, was me getting outside the bubble of our industry, outside the mm-hmm. bubble of uh, all the managed service provider events and the IT events, and actually learning from people from different industries and applying those principles back to my company and back to even my own personal growth, which is why I'm so big into motivation. I never would have friends like I do, like Kevin Harrington, the original shark of Shark Tank, or Michael Gerber, the author of the E Myth, you know, or, and I could keep going on and on, or Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, you know. If you I, had Jordan Belfort on, oh yeah, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so he was a he was even a speaking pin. in an event two years Sell ago. It. I know, but I, I wouldn't. Tell me that pin. I wouldn't have had Sorry. these connections with people, or even the board that I put together, you know, if, with yeah. uh, with like Darren Jacklin from EXP Realty, who took EXP from. Two million in annual revenue in 2014 as the first independent board director. To they just did a billion dollars last quarter, and their valuation is like eight billion dollars. You know, in just seven years. So, so you just talk to people who are hitting the ball out of the park and say, um, "How how did you do it? You got what it. was your yeah. experience? Help! Yeah. You know, there's awesome. there's got to be a yeah. way that we can structure <laughs> this, right? Or it's like if I'm thinking, hey, I want to get involved in this area of real estate. It looks awesome. Let's find a guest to come on and talk about right. that because if I'm asking the question, there's got to be other people that are asking the questions too. But that that was the mm-hmm. biggest point for me in self growth is getting outside of my industry. And that's why the mm-hmm. podcast is structured that way to bring, bring people on in business for motivation and of course for tech and cyber. It, that is so awesome and, and motivating for me. I, I, I'm going to start doing that. I don't awesome. know how I'm going to do it on this structure, but, uh, but Dude, I definitely I learned so love much from my people. guests for real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I've, I've taken like a half a page of notes just from you today. Um, and especially that Reg A thing. I, I mean, that, that is to me is like so cool. Um, okay. Last thing. Okay. Tell us about the movie, man. <laughs> yeah. The, the movie, this, um, I wouldn't call it politically charged, but it was more like bringing the truth out, right? The movie is Liberty okay. Lockdown and you can go to libertylockdown.com. It exists on Vimeo right now. And this will give you a little insight because it, it was going to go to Amazon and we looked at Netflix and, Amazon declined to sort of Netflix because they classified it as hate speech underneath their terms and conditions and, and is like completely banned from their platform ever. They don't even allow an appeal process. It's pretty interesting. They're kind of hardcore being big tech. And is this, is this movie going to trigger me, man? Is, does not, it have trigger no, warnings? It's going to make <laughs> you think like, what the hell, you know, cause it, it, you talked about this interesting governor back from 
East, right? It's, it was and, it was New York. I mean, yeah, come on, man. Of you know, he just was. he just yep. announced his resignation. Yeah. So yeah. and you know, for rightfully, uh, again, yeah. I don't get political on the show. It's even but, different uh, reasons than last year. You know, and, and yeah. we, we were looking yeah. at the the government response at the state level was, and this was the thing that boggled my mind. So it, while it's a movie about the pandemic, it's a documentary about the pandemic. It is not about the virus itself. You know, it's mm-hmm. about the government response and you know how i'm big into the human element the same thing how the government response affected people humans Mm -hmm. on the street oh yeah working and and, hey i got kids man i got kids that are sitting in front of a computer for 12 hours a day and i'm like okay they can't play soccer and again well god you know what you're making me go political here but (laughs) i gotta say you know i read the reports i read the papers there has been no outbreaks um from from schools in one, but for two for outdoor sports. I mean, they play in soccer, yeah, and and you yeah. say, oh, they can't they can't play soccer anymore. No, no, no. And I'm like, okay, it's it's churches, it's discos, it's uh, you know, l- large events indoors where people are talking at a higher than normal uh, voice, using a, l- a louder than normal voice because you're projecting, right? Those almost every major outbreak break has been a. T- um, What's the word? Uh, tracked or, or or come from something like that, and 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 but they just say no, it doesn't matter. We're shutting everything down, and I think we need a more balanced approach. That's I hope exactly that's what the you're point of the movie. To. You got it. And there should have been a consistency across the board that was coordinated. You know, and I know some states tried to do that with neighboring states, but it didn't work because every governor really seemed to have their own agenda in mind, and that was the disheartening oh, yeah. part of it. That there was no collaboration across state lines. And even more so, and you'll see this, in, excuse me, you'll see this in the film, but when you looked at like Cuomo, who, who was yeah. you know, in New York, and how he was, elderly people by far, of course, were at risk, right? And the, the Most vulnerable. Exactly. Yep. And middle of last year, there was a study that was released by, and it still holds true to this day, by the University of New York that showed that the biggest determining morbidity factor was, are you over 80 years old? And then underneath that, it's the question that the decision tree to determine how likely you are to die right underneath. Are you over 80 or not? Then it was, are you obese? Right. And then from there, it's like, no, if you answered no to are you obese, then there was next to nothing on that side of the decision tree. But everything else was okay. You're obese. Do you have diabetes? Do you have do you have blood clots? You have all these other things, you know, that pretty much said, yeah, you, you have a pretty good chance of death because you're this way, or at least of serious illness, you know, so it was determining. Mm-hmm. So it was age first, then obesity seconds. And just even if we took the age part on, and this is where I get on a little bit of soapbox, because this is where I felt like we really failed last year. And, and the, the movie depicts this, that we should have rallied around those who were high risk, and those who protect were the vulnerable, elderly. right? Exactly. Protect the vulnerable. But not you tell a young, healthy 23 year old, you can't work. Yeah, you know the, the the healthy telling people that I mean that's a <laughs> that that's a form of if you want to call it communism whatever else when you tell healthy unsick people that you can't do life, you know, and th- that was yeah. the the point of this was the government response and the inconsistencies, but it was laid out just like you know talking about bringing truth to people in co managed IT right when you're going in there yeah. it was the same thing it's like well this is really what happened why did the governor mm-hmm. send sick elderly people from the hospital back to the nursing home. 
dude, when I, I mean, I was in Japan, in Japan when that happened and, and I was pulling my hair out saying that, you know, this is, this is wrong. It's, it's wrong. Cause I'm from Washington state. Our biggest, we were like ground zero and it was in nursing homes. Right. And, and we had the huge explosion, but we were able to kind of tap things down very, very quickly. Um, I stood outside the nursing home as part of the film. You'll see it. In Washington. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. 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 I traveled so, the country doing so, the interviews um, and filming last year. <laughs> I, I mean, it's on. It's on my list to watch. Um, and the uh, the other thing I come back on is again we talk about inconsistencies. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Now I'm going to be, beat up on the go- the former governor uh, of New York. Uh, <laughs> Got you but going. <laughs> he, I, I I saw an interview with him, and it was you know here's the deal. I don't care what side you're on, left or right. You. You lose me when you insist that your guy is always right and then the other guy is always wrong. Yeah. Because, you know, every even a broken clock is right, you know, twice a day and all that things. You know, some people get it right, some people get it wrong, but nobody's 100% perfect or or fallible. So um, I listened to this interview with Cuomo and he was saying, you know, well, it's so complicated dealing with the state of New York because we have all these cities and all these counties and da 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 and you, nobody understands how complicated my job is to deal with this pandemic and somebody asked him well then you've criticized the pre- president but doesn't the president also have a complicated job oh it's completely different it's completely different like, <laughs> uh, it's it's the wrong conversation we should all yeah. be trying to figure out how to work together but that, I guess that's politics um on that note hey uh, Rick, I've totally enjoyed this conversation. This Thank has been the longest, uh, longest conversation I think I've had while while doing Secure Talk. Um, and you know, I told you I had three cups of coffee, so that <laughs> that was part of it. <laughs> the other part was that you are a great guest. You have so much experience, and I really, uh, you know, appreciate you sharing that with us. And I, I have a feeling that um, we could probably keep going, um, but I think we should save that for another time. And I would love I'm to in. hear about your your progress going forward as your company goes public and anything else you want to talk about uh, in in the coming months. So uh, again, thank you so much. Sounds good, Mark. Thank you. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.